Hey everyone, welcome to the 27th episode of Baseline Intelligence, the podcast designed to make you a better tennis player and a smarter athlete. I'm your host, Jonathan Stokey. Today's guest is the third ranked woman in the world and our first two-time guest, Jessica Pagula. This year, she reached the quarterfinals of three Grand Slams and won her first WTA 1000 title in Guadalajara. She also reached a career-high ranking of three in the world in doubles this year with partner Coco Goff, making the year-end tour finals in both singles and doubles. In this episode, we talk about what she improved in the offseason, how her doubles helps her singles, and her best returning tips. So sit back, relax, and prepare to become a smarter tennis player. All right, Jess, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I think it's been a few years. Uh, no, it's it's almost been exactly one year. Really? Yeah, and actually, I'm going to go out of order because you're kicking off season two. You were the first ever episode, and you're the first <laughs> episode of season two. And I'm going out of order on this one because there was a podcast question, I swear to God. And the person wanted to know what it's like to be the first two-time guest on the podcast. <laughs> That's an amazing question. I feel honored. I can't believe it's only been a year. Yeah, it was one year ago. Honestly, probably almost to the day because you were about to leave for Australia when we oh. did it last time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just an annual thing now. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, exactly. And last time we were talking, you were 19 in the world and you finished last year at three. So you obviously had an incredible year and we're going to get into some of that, but it's a wild year. I think you played 70 or so matches. You had a ton of success and you finally had the last month since the tour finals to kind of relax. So mm -hmm. can you tell us kind of what the short, short tennis offseason looks like for you? Um, yeah, I don't even know what the date was, but I finished, I think right before, no, a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. Um, so I actually took a week off, but I was, I was sick at the end of the finals. So I kind of took the next week. I was just home sick, kind of cleaning the house, like not doing anything. Went on vacation the next week, came back, had Thanksgiving. Uh, so I think I probably took around, you know, like two to three weeks off, like two weeks, not doing anything, like nothing in the gym or, or anything like that. And just took some time to kind of decompress and, and relax. And I feel like I was so used to the whole year, like going, going, going like every single week that, yeah, my body just kind of needed to like shut down for, for a little while. But I've been back training for the last, I think almost probably three weeks now. Um, and I leave Saturday for Australia, kind of early actually. So how does that work for you? Like, I think a lot of times people in other sports and even tennis, they kind of go, oh, well, in the off season, I'm, I need to improve this and this, or I need to work on the strength, but you're, it's such a short off season and that little break that you took is probably super necessary. What do you, what do you look at those three weeks? Like how, how are you breaking that down? Are you working on a strength? Are you trying to get rid of a weakness that popped up all year? Like how do you use those three weeks to improve? Well, I definitely wanted to work on my serve because that's something you can always, you know, I'm always working on that. But sometimes it's hard during a tournament to, that's what's so hard in tennis is to like try and change stuff while you're still playing and competing throughout the whole year. And you're already doing pretty well. If you are, you know, you don't really want to change much, but at the same time, you always want to work on like little things. So I think I took more time to kind of reevaluate like what I could do better on my serve as far as using my legs, getting my toss better getting, you know, my tempo better, hitting my spots better. So I think that was something that was easy, right? You can just go out on the court, you can hit a basket of serves, like it's very easy to practice that as far as that. And then I think um, there was like a couple other little things 
you know, trying to get my forehand like a little heavier, a little more spin since I hit so flat um, to mix it up, you know, using my legs more. Uh, I think we started kind of working on that at the end of the year and it was getting better. So I think as I started practicing again, training, I was really just kind of over exaggerating it and emphasizing it to get used to it as well. And then also to like try a couple different strings that, you know, maybe there's stuff throughout the year you've been wanting to try. I did that. And then off the court, I, I think is probably to me, like, it's like the hardest time in the off season because you're doing so much. But I think throughout the year, you're always like maintenancing everything. Like you're never going to lift super heavy or go crazy in the gym. So for me, it's definitely like a good two, three, four weeks of like being able to actually build in the off season in the gym, whatever that is. But for me, it's usually just trying to get quicker and faster and um, at the same time, you know, stay healthy. So yeah, I, I like the, I kind of like the gym hours that I get. Cause I, I can really, I can like push myself whereas more you're just playing the whole year. So you never really have time to, to build off of any of that. Yeah. You all, you always have to be on. It's like yeah. week to week. Like there's no, there's no downtime. Do you find, I, this always stuck with me. This is from Billy back when we were juniors, but I used to start every day with like 30 minutes of a high heavy forehand where I'm swinging. I'm trying to hit like Rafa top. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I was kind of like you, my forehand was super flat, but when I went back to my big one, I still felt like it had more spin and it was more consistent just because I had done all these reps of the exaggeration. Do you feel that too, when you've been working on the heavy forehand? Oh yeah, definitely. I think when you, like, you always feel like you're over-exaggerating it and it's really not even that different. Like it feels like you're hitting a totally different stroke and someone takes a video of you and you're like, it looks almost exactly the same, but I think that's good. You don't want to like change anything crazy, but yeah, I think adding stuff like that in, like just hitting, all right, these, you know, doing a couple of feeds, these 20 balls, yeah, hit like Rafa and like, just do it. Like, you're not trying to make the ball. You're not really trying to do anything. It's just helping you like get that feel. And I think we started to do that a little bit more at the end of, of the year, work on that, work on, you know, like depth, trying to get depth with it. Yeah. So when you go back to playing, I, I definitely feel like it's, it starts to creep into your game a little bit, even when you're not trying to, which I think that's kind of how you want it to be. You don't, you don't want it to be a huge change, especially when, when stuff's been working, right? Like you don't want to sit there and go change everything. So yeah, it's, it's important when it kind of starts to creep in there and you hit a couple in a match and you, you know, then you get a little bit more confident with it and you're like, okay, this is working. This is feeling better. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I do know what you mean, especially at the beginning with the warm ups. When you're working on your serve, you said using your legs more, a couple things with the toss, are you like, I mean, you're one of the best players in the world, so I actually don't know how you're going to answer this, but are you like most people where you use your legs more and maybe that changes the rhythm slightly in the beginning? Do you notice that when you're working on that to start that it almost gets a little worse before it gets better? Or do you feel like, oh, I use my legs and man, that instantly I could see that improvement. Which one is that for you? Um, It definitely screws me up. <laughs> I know we're not on video, but I was shaking my head when you said that. I was like, yes, that's that's me. I definitely think I get it gets worse before it gets a little bit better. And then you go through the process of it getting better in a match where you're actually under pressure and your body just wants to go back and do what it has always done, whether it's right or wrong. It just wants to go back to old habits, um, which I'm sure is going to happen throughout the year this year if there's anything I was working on. But yeah, my legs always kind of have always thrown off my timing a bit. When to bend, do you bend when you toss? Do you bend when you take your arm back? Do you bend at right away? Do you kind of rock? And then bend? like, there's so many different ways people do it. So I think it's just figuring out what 
kind of feels the best. And what I think is also, at least for me, is simple. And that just, it, it simplifies things. So um, yeah, I definitely, I felt that when I'm trying to use my legs more, yeah, it kind of messes you up for a little bit. And then maybe you have to fix a few other things. Maybe it's, okay, I need to toss quicker. Okay, maybe I need to toss right when I rock forward, or maybe my arm needs to come up with my toss. I think that's the thing is that with serving, like everyone serves so different, but I think more or less like the good servers have a good knee bend. They have a good toss. They have a good shoulder turn or something. They kind of do all the basic stuff like really, really well. And I think how you get there is kind of just up to you. It's For me, it's definitely keeping it simplified, but it doesn't always feel good right away. You made it all the way up to three. Like we said, you made a great jump. You had a ton of great results. You won Guadalajara. And I think you made the quarters of three slams. I'm right on that, correct? Mm-hmm. And then you all, you super frustrating. You always, you drew Ash and Ega twice, I think. Is that right? Ash, well, Ash in Australia and then Ega the rest of the year because Ash That's right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So you got Ash in your last tournament. So you're always playing like, you know, one of these awesome players. But the last one at the Open, I remember, I think you lost the set 7 5 against Ega, but you broke her five times. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so obviously getting your serve better is part of it, but is there anything I think else? I lost you... second set seven, six, seven, six. So you yeah. held once. Did you hold once in that one? I, I don't know. Remember. We were breaking each other a lot. I remember seeing you in the hotel after, cause I was there with a the player and I remember David was like, man, if we could just hold serve twice, like we're there, <laughs> we got it. Like, and, and so is there anything, but like, obviously the quality of the serve matters, but is there anything else that you focus on that helps you hold serve more often? Well, I definitely think hitting my spots, like, again, like it kind of goes into like, it's hard because you get frustrated when you're not serving well, but you're never going to serve well all the time. Right. And so then you get more frustrated, especially if there's a good returner, someone like Ego who like returns really well, putting more pressure on your serve, then like things kind of start piling on and you start getting kind of super frustrated and stuff like that. But I think, and also just like fun fact, the conditions were so heavy that night. So like, to me, it, I guess looking from outside, you're like, Jesus, these girls can't hold serve. But like the balls were so heavy and it was so humid. Like we were soaked in that court. Ash is so much slower than the outside courts. It's like super gritty. So like once the balls are gone and you're having long games, like they're gone. Like I, I truly think at that time we weren't serving amazing, but like it was easier to break. It felt like at that moment just because of the balls. I don't even know what I was talking about, but anyways, yeah, I think I try to, I think I always try to pick my spots and I think if I'm not serving well, I try to just think of like a one, two pattern kind of like, okay, at least I know if I'm serving, if I serve this first ball and let's say I'm just trying to kind of make it like I'm hitting like a three quarter serve. I know if I go to their backhand, they're probably going to pull it inside in. So I feel like that's kind of my way of okay, my serve's not great, but like, where are they going to hit the return? And then I can start the point and work my way into the point instead of feeling like I'm on the defense, the first return, whether it's a weak serve or it's a second serve. I think I just try to play the patterns of what they're doing to kind of start the point. If I know I'm not serving that well, I'm not getting free points and maybe I just need to get my serve percentage up and, and not try to hit aces or not go for big serves. Uh, I definitely think doing like the one, two, first, second ball patterns helps. Usually that just kind of shifts your focus to not being frustrated on your serve as well. And you get, I think you get a little bit more confident. And then when your percentage kind of starts going up, it's like, okay, let me, I'm going to try and go for a couple serves now. And usually 
you start making them more than you did before. So I think that's usually what, what I try to do to get my serve back on track. I always say, you know, the better you get, your expectations go up. And so every player in the world has a problem. It's just Mm -hmm. the problems, I guess, get better as you get better. So, you know, maybe when you were 60 in the world, it's like, man, how do I make it to the second week? Or Mm -hmm. how do I get into this draw? Like, how do I, you know, whatever small things you're dealing with. And now your issue is, you know, how do I beat four top 10 players in a row? Or how do I beat someone like Iga? So when you're playing an Iga or anyone else who's at the top of the game, and they're hot in the match, what what are some things you do to try to cool them off or try to neutralize them so you can get those big wins kind of back to back to back? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a tough question because <laughs> I'm not sure I've actually done that yet, like gone through that or beaten four, you know, top 10 players in a row. But I think it's just, I think it's just the margins are so much smaller and it's like, they just don't give you as much. Like, instead of them missing a couple seconds of returns and you kind of getting out of that game, okay, now they're like hitting winners. And all of a sudden you just don't have as much margin. And I think the margins just get smaller and smaller and smaller, but I think you have to approach it just like any other match. I mean, you gotta, you gotta look at what your patterns are, what your strategy is. And I think I've learned too, is that even if it is maybe your strategy, you know, it's right. I mean, I hope it's right. You know, it's right. And maybe it doesn't work like all the time, but I think staying consistent with it, knowing that, all right, I'm doing the right thing. I'm making the right plays. Okay. They just hit a good shot. They hit a winner. Okay. They're really not going to hit, they're going to hit that, you know, one out of 10 times, just let it go. I think focusing on that stuff and focusing on, you know, managing that is probably, I think the best way to do it because, you know, I think it's so easy to get frustrated where, Maybe you're not playing the smartest and you're playing into their game and you're playing how they want to play. And then it can kind of like go really fast and snowball. So I think as long as you're focusing on the strategy and sticking to it and not getting frustrated, if it's not, I mean, they're the best players in the world. They're not, there's a reason that it's not going to work hundred percent of the time, but if you can get like a small percentage, like, okay, and maybe something breaks down and then maybe you get some momentum. I think that's when you, then you have to try to take advantage of that. But I think it can be really easy playing a top player to kind of, you know, what I do to other players or what they do to me is they, yeah, they kind of break you down and get you to play what they want. And then all of a sudden it's like, you're playing into their game and they're playing unbelievable. And then you get frustrated. And the next thing you know, it's like, it snowballs and you lose and you're like, what was I doing? Like, why didn't I stick to to that game plan? Like just a little bit longer, you know, or, you know, you come back and your coach is like, well, okay. The, the, let's say the game plan was to serve to their backhand and you're like, yeah, but they, you know, they hit that winner on 30 all. And he's like, okay, they hit one out of like 20. Or like, is that going to really deter you from like going back there again? Like you just kind of have to give them that and move on and stick to your game plan. So I think that's something at the top that's really kind of important is sticking to that and trusting it and knowing it and not getting frustrated if it's, you know, not a hundred percent because, you know, at the top, it's not, it's not going to be perfect because they're good players, great players. I'm not a big quote guy, but but one of my favorite quotes, I'll paraphrase it, but it's like it's about this stone cutter and it's like, "Hey, I see him, you know, pounding away on this stone and he does it 100 times, there's no crack in it, but on the 101st he splits it in half and you know it's not because of the last time he hit the rock, it's because of the 100 before." Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's what I that's what I always think of like when you're playing percentage tennis. It's like if you're being solid, like a lot of people can maybe play well for a set against you or maybe, you know, break the, 
you're doing something simple and they're hitting these unrepeatable winners. But if you make them do it for two or three sets Mm -hmm. near the end of the second set is where you start seeing the crack. And then by the third set, maybe they crumble, but you might not get that instant gratification from using your play right away. Yeah. And people go away from that so quickly. Like, yeah, I think that's, that's what it is. Like they want the instant gratification and it's not there. And cause it's not always going to be there, but like you said, if you just keep hammering it away at it, then you get something to start to break down and it, and then that's where you win a, you know, you win a first set you see all the time, seven, six, seven, five. And then the second set's like six, one or something. It's usually because that's, that's kind of what happens. And again, yeah, anybody can play really great for a set, but to kind of keep it up, or if you can just kind of manage, manage them, you know, playing well, or if they're on a hot streak, that's yeah, that's huge. Tell me if you're guilty of this, because a lot of my players are, but another mistake, kind of what you were talking about is I think people compare one result to another single result. So let's take an example of like someone approaches to you and maybe your coach says, Hey, you know what? You're supposed to pass low through the middle on the first one and then try to pass them clean on the second ball or lob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you go low through the middle and they hit a beautiful drop volley winner. Mm-hmm. And you go, see, I told you it wouldn't work because yes. you're comparing you're comparing the one time you did it correctly and a negative outcome yeah. to in your mind, the one time you would have gone for a winner and actually pulled off the shot. Yeah. And you go, so hitting the winner, doing the wrong thing is better than them hitting a winner when I did the correct thing. But it's really more like if you went low middle a thousand times in a row, yeah, and you try to hit a first ball passing shot a thousand times in a row, yeah. I think you win more points doing it the right way. Yes. But, exactly. but you compare the singular result to each other. And like, if you did that, then it's like, shoot, you might as well try between the leg winners and because you can win those points too. So I think that one-to-one comparison can, can trip you up. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think everyone's guilty of that, to be honest. And and I think that's why, yeah, you just have to manage that. I think at the top, you're making more of those smarter decisions more often. And then maybe if you're not ranked as high or not winning those matches, I mean, those little things like really add up and it's like, I've had that happen a million times where it's like, okay, they hit that one good volley, but then I go there the next like three or four times and like they miss, or I get my passing shot on the second shot. It's just sticking to it. And then also I think too, though, to another extent, like sometimes if stuff isn't working, you have to, you have to be able to recognize it, but in a way where it's like, I don't know. I feel like I'm good at kind of like picking up like some girls, I feel like you can kind of tell where they like to hit the ball and it's like, okay, I know their forehand. Okay. Is weaker. If I, you know, this is maybe more higher level if when I go hard here, but like also when I give them the slower ball up the middle, like I know they're going to go inside out every single time just because they kind of come off their forehand or they kind of fall to the side and you kind of know they're going to go there. So I think at the same time, like, I guess at the higher level, when something's really not working and you, that's your strategy. And for whatever reason, maybe you just really got it wrong or someone got it wrong or something happened that you have to, to be able to, to notice that, but that can be very particular. Like that could be a lot more detailed than like what you're referring to. (laughs) When when you say uh, someone got it wrong, does that mean you're quietly referring to your WTA or Coach of the Year, David Witt? Yeah, I mean, sometimes like we come off court and we'll be like, gosh, like I kept hitting to that one side and like she loved it. But when I hit it short and low to that side, she just started missing all of them. And then, then when I went back deep, it was like, then she started missing them. And you're kind of like looking at each other like, and he's just like, like, yeah, I don't, I think the play was actually to go, you know, go short and then go deep, you know, or something like that. I think it's more conversational 
And it's more, at least what I like to do is more like problem solving, like in the moment, like, and you know, now there's a little bit of coaching too. So sometimes I forget who I played someone this, this really happened to where we were really wrong. Like you thought for sure watching them that they would hate this one shot and they hated the other shot. And so it was like switch, like, no hit to the other side. Like, no, like he's like pointing like forehand, forehand or back. I don't forget what it was. And so sometimes you have to, you know, you have to do that too and pick up on it. Usually we do both pick up on it now at the same time, more or less. Um, but yeah, you still have those moments where you come off and you're just like, you know, I guess more particular would be, okay, maybe not the backhand, but maybe low to the backhand or maybe the forehand she loves, but hard up the middle, she hates it. You know, it, it just kind of depends. You don't have to tell us what they do, but is it pretty obvious for you when you can tell what your opponent and maybe their coach are trying to do to you, like how they're trying to attack your weaknesses? Are you like, oh, okay, like they're trying to do this again and I know what I want to play off that. Is that pretty obvious for you? I think some of it is really obvious and some of it's really subtle. I think it depends on their game. If they're used to hitting one way and then all of a sudden they're doing something completely different, you're like, it's actually kind of nice because you're like, wow, like they don't even want to play this game, their game with me. They're trying to like default to plan B and do something totally out of their comfort zone. So I think that definitely happens. Or you know how someone plays. They play very like one way. And like a lot of players like to go high to my backhand because my backhand's pretty flat. I'm not like super tall. That's like one play. I feel like I always notice players will kind of start doing to me and I've gotten a lot better at like countering it or it not bothering me. But yeah, like something like that. I, I think I definitely notice it pretty quickly, even more so I think during a match, like if it's, I win the first set easy and they start doing something completely different, like you kind of know they're trying to change change their game. And like I said, with kind of coaching too, you can kind of tell sometimes like you can kind of see them like they're like hit high, like higher, you know, and they're like motioning and you're like, okay, they're trying to go higher. So sometimes it's obvious. That's smart. David. So like we said, David was the uh, tour coach of the year. Is he having trouble fitting his head through <laughs> any doorways or any, any <laughs> gates on a tennis courts right now? Yeah. He's really, his ego is crazy right now through the roof. <laughs> No, it was awesome to see. It was awesome to see that he won that award. Yeah, I didn't really, I knew they do the nominations and they all kind of nominate who they think, I think amongst the coaches. So it was just kind of funny. Like I didn't know. And then someone just like from the WTA texted me like, David won coach of the year. And I was like, oh, cool. (laughs) So it was just kind of funny. So you've been with him, I think two or a little over two years. What what kind of things has he done that you feel like has helped you the most or either mentally or technically or tactically? Like what, what kind of influence has he had? Cause he's been here with you kind of from your bigger jump to like from yeah. the sixties or seventies and now all the way up to top five. So kind of how has he helped you? Yeah. Again, I think like all the stuff we've been talking about, I've gotten so much better at like playing percentages. Like I didn't even, I mean, it sounds so bad, but I didn't even like think about that like five years ago. Like I didn't even know like what that, meant and I never really noticed it it's not like he really told me like you need to start playing percentages I just remember sometimes we'd be in practice sets or matches and like I said like well they're going inside in like the way they like to hit their backhand you can tell they like to go inside in so like if you hit that second serve you better run over to your backhand side and get ready to hit the ball and I was like oh like I never really thought of tennis like that like in different ways but not like that and so I think again, you're a numbers person guy, like percentages. I mean, I feel like I win so many points off of 
percentages and trying to stick to that and stick to my game plan. He's definitely, I think that's probably where he's helped me the most and also like made it fun though. Like we've made it more like, I don't know if I said this the last time I talked to you, but more like problem solving, like go out and we'd watch matches and I'd be like, gosh, like, you know, you kind of like dissect everyone and try to figure out what they like, what they don't like, even if it's something really, really small, um, you know, like, oh, the grip on their forehand, there's no way that they can hit that well when they're off the court. Like if so-and-so could just get the ball off the court and it's not just women, it's men's too. So I, I think we, I like, I definitely learned a lot just thinking about it very like talking out loud, problem solving, conversational type of stuff. And I think that just slowly started to creep into my game. And I probably, I think the biggest thing he's helped me with and then worked on a lot of intangible stuff, like lobs, slices, like really weird, like short balls slicing and coming in. Or you probably like that play we've started doing. Actually, I did it a couple of times in Guadalajara because the courts are so fast and the ball flies like any short ball, just like knife it up the middle and close the net. And it was like, I think I won the point as long as I hit a pretty good one, like every single time. But that's something you would never right? Like it wasn't really, I could hit it, but was it really comfortable, but just like working on little things. And the next thing I know, like in a match, I start doing it, you do it once and you're like, then it's like fun. Then you do it like more and more and more and you're winning a lot of points. And it's just something that kind of starts happening and you build confidence with. So I think a lot of little things like that, like slicing deep and coming in, it sounds really simple, but like working on really getting it deep, like pushing it like deep on the baseline and making them have to hit a really good shot lobs that I would always hit my lobs so short. And we would literally sometimes just for fun, like he would just run me to a corner and I would just like send something like a hundred feet up in the air and try to place it on the baseline as, as best I could or something, you know, just stupid kind of silly stuff. I think as far as like shot wise, a lot of that stuff that has helped. Yeah. It's like, uh, I think they always say Belichick in the NFL, but like situational, they practice situational awareness. And it's like the only time you can hit that emergency lob, like if you've never practiced a lob or you've never practiced a short slice, like how are you going to pull that off? in a random situation in an important match, unless you've practiced it a couple times and at least have an idea and yeah. and know that it's possible. So like, obviously most people will go serve return and that should be the meat of your practice. But if you never practice an emergency shot, you're never going to hit a good one. Yeah. And it's like, it's so, I remember specifically, actually, I was watching Steve Johnson and he only slices his backhand. So he hits that shot a lot when he's off the court he like place, it's not even like a lob. He places it like super deep. And I remember watching him somewhere and I'm like, God, he hits that shot like so well. And David's like, yeah, you see how he, he gets it so deep and he's just, and the points just totally restarted. And you're just like, wow, if I could get better at that shot. And I just remember like sometimes at the end of practice, I'd be like, hit a couple. Or after the girl was done taking volleys or overheads, like the last few overheads, I would just like literally like feed myself just to like get the feel of it and getting that feel of like hitting those shots. It's like so simple, but I swear, like, I don't know. I wish there was a statistic somehow to figure out how many points I either got back in the point with or won because of that shot is significant, especially in big moments. Uh, So look, David, like we said, he's one of the best coaches, but if for some reason he's ever out a week, you know, you have me on your speed (laughs) dial. I drop everything. Do you remember? I was thinking about this. Do you remember? Because I went with you to Birmingham. That was three and a half years ago. That was 2019. Yeah. And you called me like two days before you were leaving. You're like, I know you don't do anything in the summer. Like I need someone. (laughs) My my coach isn't there. And you know what I remember? I don't, I don't remember who you were hitting. I can't remember her name, 
but I remember you were practicing with someone. My, my biggest memory was how tight I was when I'm feeding in balls in the practice and whoever it was, if it wasn't right in her pocket, she would let it go. Oh yeah. I know who it was, but I won't say who. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I'd like get a ball and I'm like, Oh my God. Like I've got to bounce this thing within like three square inches. Yes. And I was actually on fire, but like, I've never been so nervous. That's what I remember from that week. I know. And I, well, you know what I actually really remember is that I've gotten a lot better at is a lot of those short little slice freaking approach shots and drop volleys. Like I was so bad at that when I was with you and we were like, you were trying to work on it. I'm like, well, it's a little late now. Like I'm playing tomorrow and I'm trying to like, like learn, but like just working on that stuff, like has gotten so much better. And, but like, that's such an important shot that like, you never would, it was all these like awkward shots and it's like hard to replicate it in practice. But like, I specifically remember like not really working on any of that stuff until that week when it kept happening and I'm like, okay. And we were actually practicing it. And then that's a very, yeah. David and I've worked on those types of shots a lot. It's so funny. Still work on it. So we're going to, we're going to switch gears here a little bit. This is a new thing for you, but we're going to talk about your amazing doubles game. <laughs> you're, you're, you're big, you're big time doubles girl. Now uh, <laughs> you obviously had an amazing year with Coco. Is this, I think you won a tournament early in the year. Maybe it was like February of last year, but I wanted 250 with Asia. And you wanted 250 with Asia to start the year? Before Australia. Got it, got it. And then, but then you played with Coco after the Australian, right? I played with her starting, yeah, in Dubai, Doha and Dubai. That's right. And I think you won one of those or went far, but is that the first time you guys had played with each other? So we've played a few, a couple times. I'm going to say maybe, no, maybe like, so before Doha, I think maybe twice. We played Montreal. We played terrible. Horrible, like horrible, horrible. But we played a really tough team. We played like Rybakina and Kudermatova on like super fast courts. And they just were like serving really big. And it was, you know, just one of those matches. It was really tough. And then we played in Dubai. We won like maybe a round or two and then lost. And then we won Doha. And yeah, then we kind of just started playing. We played the exact same schedule. So it kind of just made sense because I was like in between partners and she always played with Katie and Katie was kind of playing different tournaments. So we just basically were like, okay, we should just maybe try and play throughout the year. So yeah, it's been really fun. A lot of, I mean, I think it's helped a lot as well as my singles. I mean, there's so many, again, like intangible shots that come up in doubles that I think really, really help and have translated into my singles game too. But yeah, it was, it was a good year on the doubles court. Can you give us like a specific shot that you go, it pops up in doubles enough to where I use this in singles and I feel like the reps that I got in a live match have helped me in a singles match? Definitely a lob. Definitely a lot, a lot of lobs and a lot of like, even like when someone hits a volley short and you lob and you're kind of running up in the court, like the net gets, you know, higher and everything kind of shortens, like hitting like a lob over their head, especially over like the backhand side. I think I've I've translated that a lot into my singles game. And then obviously just like returns, like stepping in on returns, returning and coming in. I mean, like David still tells me I don't do it enough, but like in doubles, I do it a lot. And I definitely think it that suit like really helps. And especially in pressure moments, because I always pretty much like 90% of the time take the no ad point if it's not a slam and you're playing no ad. So I think that just builds confidence like a lot on your return game. What was or what is the most difficult part for you of like playing the net in doubles at the pro level? Like that can be a tricky thing 
especially on second serves, knowing what you're supposed to cover. And obviously the girls are ripping balls. Like what is the, what is the biggest challenge of the net game in doubles? Well, especially in women's doubles, I still feel like nobody really closes. Like there's some girls that really, really close. And for me, I still don't kind of, I like, I have good hands where like, I like if someone hits hard at me, like I'm fine. Like, I don't care if someone rips at me. I have good hands that way where like, I kind of like to feel the ball. But for me specifically, it's really hard for me to like put away those like closing volleys, like where they're not getting it back. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. off the court, angle it off the court, like hit it down and off the court. Those are really, really tough for me. I don't know why. I just don't think it's like supernatural. So it's, it's gotten better and we work on that a lot too. And again, I, I watched some of your videos where I think you just had one recently where it was like you split and then was it, you took a step forward and then go. Yeah. We actually just started working on that a lot because I do the same thing. I think we were somewhere and I was, I do that a lot of my return. Like I love to return and you take one step with one foot. And then, so you're kind of like, I don't know what it is, but you take one step and then it's easier to cut off the angle. Sometimes when you split step and you try to split step forward, you're like stuck and you can't quite push off on the angle. So I was like, I think I need to be doing this at the net. So it was kind of funny. I just saw your video. I was like, oh my God, we've been working on that. Like at the end of last year, we were working on it or this year, we were working on that a lot, like closing, but like taking a step and then cutting off the angle. Sometimes I just close and I don't know what it is about physically. You just feel weird. Like you split step, you move forward and split step and you just want to go sideways instead of actually coming off the angle. So that actually um, is something I've, I've worked on a lot. Tell me how you feel about this, but you know, one guy, we had him at Duke and he wasn't a great volleyer. So it, I would tell him at the net, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, don't close too tight. Like I almost wanted him to have time to see the ball. But then, mm-hmm. like you said, it was tough for him to finish a volley. So like he wasn't getting hit. He didn't look awkward, but he also couldn't do anything. And like I said, he wasn't great. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. Just stand six inches from the net. Yeah. Like, let's just take all the movement out of it. And if someone lobs you, like whatever, that's your partner. And so he would stand close and people would rip balls at him and he would look awful, but he would hit all these winners. It was such a great play for him because he was so tight. And I think people just, I mean, the girls at your level are hitting the ball pretty damn fast, but I think people are scared to get up there because they think they're going to get hit, but it's only like a four foot difference. And then when you're closer to the net, you have all these angles that you can use. Yeah. And that's what I noticed, like, especially obviously in the men's doubles where they close like so well. I mean, they are like hitting their swings are going over the net. Like when they're at the net, you know what I mean? Like they're starting their swing and finishing their volleys and there's no way the guy's going to get it. Like he's hitting it off the court right when the ball's coming to him right on the net, like the response time from the other person, like they're not going to get it. Right. And also like you can shank a bunch of winners too. That's what I'm saying. He used to like, he literally would like, he would like self-defense and he'd shank an angle winner and like people would get so mad. And I'm like, Hey, we've done this for a full season now. Like nothing bad can happen when you're that close. You cannot miss in the net. I actually knew a girl who did the same thing like a while ago. She would just close and it would like shank, 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 shank. But like, it didn't matter because I mean, you're standing so close to the net. Like it's really difficult for her to shank it in the net and you're winning more points that way anyways. And it's like, yeah, if someone's going to hit a lob and like, whatever, like that would be a good thing, right? Like you want to make them love you. Right. Um, so I've definitely, yeah, that's why I did. It's like, if you just get closer, like you can't even hit it in the net anyways. <laughs> but I think instinctually, I don't know what it is about the difference between guys and girls. I don't think girls like to close as much, but there are some, like I played with the girl I won DC with this year. I played with Aaron Rootliff. Um, 
she played at Alabama and she's like very tall too. She stands so close to that, that I'd be like afraid for her, but she's like, as long as you rip it, she like, she actually was like, I need to get used to playing with you. Cause after our first match, she's like, you hit your return so much faster that like she was standing too far back that like the ball for my opponent was coming back faster. So she didn't even have time to close. So she was like, screw it. I'm going to stand right on top of the net. And she didn't when we like won the tournament, but she also had good hands and good volleys. But like, like some of the shots she hit was just cause she's standing literally two inches from the net. So I think some people are scared to be that close because like you're worried you're going to get hit, right? Like if yeah. someone's up there, but like, I know people can't see, but the visual or what I kind of tell my players is if you're up, let's say you're right on the net. Well, the net is three feet high, right? So that means like my waist and below, I can't get hit because there's literally a net protecting me, right? And if you hit the ball really fast, like above my head, that ball is going out. So I don't need to worry about that. My racket is right in front of my face, which is the money maker, And so I'm not going to get hit there because I'm going to be able to turn my racket. So like you really can't get hit anywhere bad. And by the way, people don't get hit all that often. No, I was going to say, like, you really don't hear people getting hit. Exactly. It's but very it's rare. rare. Like, unless it's like a shank, weird, freak kind of thing, nobody gets hit in the face at that point. No one gets hit really that much anyway, but you're already protected. So I'm like, if the only downside is like, man, this is going to happen a little faster, but the upside is a lot of my volleys will be winners. I might get people to lob me. I can get an overhead or my opponent on the baseline can step into a ball like, I don't see the downside. So basically if I'm up at like, what it'll be, it'll be like 3 AM. I'll be watching you on the Aussie on ESPN plus play doubles. I'm going to see you like half an inch from the net. Now you're just going to be all over. Yeah. It. I, I need to. That's what Dave's like. Just keep moving in. He's like, he's like, you think you're moving. Cause that's the thing. I remember I sent you that video in Toronto. We won Toronto and I was so far from the net. And he was like, I don't think you realize it. So he took a video and showed me after. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, what am I doing? And I don't know. Some days it's better. Some days it's worse compared to who I'm playing as well. But also just like the pressure you put on your opponent. Like when I see the girls that close really hard against me, like you like totally second guess when you're at the baseline. If you see them take that one step forward on top of the net, you're like, oh shoot, like you either miss the ball because you try to change direction or you try to change and go line and you have to hit like a perfect shot anyways, or you kind of bail out and go law. But like, you know, if the person's hitting the ball hard and deep, like it's not that easy to, to hit a lob, like a good one. So yeah. And then you start thinking about all these things and that split second, you see her move and you're probably going to miss the ball. So it makes sense on all levels. I just, am I efficient at doing it? And it definitely could be better. <laughs> 2023 is a year. So I'm telling you, like, if you're like second or third up, that's when it's like middle of the night here. And just know I'll be up in the middle of the night and be like, he woke up to watch me play doubles. <laughs> I'm closing. I am moving. I'm I, closing like, so hard. Yes. Um, no. Okay. Hey, by the way, so Coco has like the C, I think it's like the CG1, her new shoe from mm -hmm. New Balance. Is Adidas going to get on it? Is there a JP1 coming out or what, what's going on here? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm going to have my own shoe, but hers are pretty cool. Hers are she sweet. Started, yeah. Hers are pretty cool. Okay. Well, I, if there's a JP one, I'm, I'm looking yeah. for. That's a great name. I like that. I agree. It's awesome. I was like, why doesn't she have one? Like a D get on it. She's three in the world. Like, I already have the name JP one. It's done. <laughs> exactly. I can, I can help them. I'll, I'll, I'll message them or something. All right. So we're going to finish with just a couple Instagram questions. Uh, the first one, the person says, obviously, you're one of the best returners on the tour. 
do you have any tips for hitting a good return of serve? I mean, there are like one to I have well, tips or tips? Get, hey, give us as many as you have, but I am pretty good at returning. I will say that. Well, like I said before, same thing as the volley. I like apply that to the returning. I mean, keeping your weight forward is huge. I think you never want to be even. So I think what some people confuse is like, you want to take the ball early, but that doesn't mean that you have to stand inside the baseline. Like you can stand six feet back and give yourself time to split, take a step and then go for the return. I think that's something a lot of people don't do is that they don't realize that even if it's like someone's serving pretty big or they're serving well, you can do the exact same thing and, and step, you know, a couple feet back behind the baseline. And that is still taking it early and getting your weight forward. You don't always have to stand, you know, six feet inside the baseline and like try to short hop returns. So I would say that's definitely one of my tips. And also, you know, like I said, that the split and then the kind of step and then take the little steps, especially on a slow serve or a kick serve. That's where I find is the most, probably the most rhythm. You, I'm sure every year you probably learn a bunch of things just from match experience and traveling and being exposed to great coaches and great players. But is there anything particularly from the past year that you feel like you learned that stood out that you kind of have taken with you and made part of your game? Was this an Instagram question? Instagram question. Yeah. It's a good one. If it, by the way, if 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 if, it, if, it, if it's ever a good question, if it's ever like a really good Instagram question, there's a couple coaches that always put them in there, and I'm like so <laughs> thankful. I'm so thankful for them because I'm like, oh, that's a great question. But they yeah, want to know. Yeah, that was good. I thought you were asking me that. No, so no, no. Is there something I've picked up that has really helped my game? Okay, I'll give you like a really random fun one. So if you ever watch Belinda Benchich play. Timing, unbelievable. She has everything open stands and she does kind of like a weird step thing. So sometimes if I feel like I'm not hitting the ball super early, I'll like pretend that I'm Belinda and I'm like where I step open stance. So my outside foot is kind of angled in. I don't know. If, I mean, just watch her play and you'll know what I mean. Everything's open stand and I'll open stance and I'll step in with like the opposite foot. So instead of stepping in closed, I step in. So I'm right-handed, like my backhand left. So I would actually hit the ball with like my left leg in front of my right, because naturally like your arms are there with that leg. So you'll hit it earlier. And so sometimes for like the first 10 minutes of practice, I'll just try to do that. Like every single time hitting up the middle with someone or warming up. And it really helps you take the ball earlier. So like I, it all started just because I, I was like messing around and I think David was like, keep trying to take, you know, sh take it early and step in the court. And I thought of her and I was like, all right, I'm going to hit like Benchich and like jokingly. And I actually was like pretty good at it. <laughs> so now I do that. I love that. Yeah. Best thing. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to make this two questions. I'm going to add on to this, but uh, the typical question, best advice for the four O singles player. Um, I would say play a lot of matches. Like play points. Like you kind of need to figure out how to win points, like point structure. Um, I think that's, you know, that's important. I mean, I'm sure you're obviously probably playing and taking lessons or playing with people and working on stuff and trying to get better. But I think like, yeah, developing some sort of point structure um, and figuring out like what works and what doesn't is probably going to help you the most, I would say, like at that stage. But I don't really coach a lot of 4.0, so... You don't. Except that's not like that's not your off season job is coaching four O adult. Well, like player. that's what like Taylor. I don't know what he would be, but like he'll be good if he's hitting with me. Like if I hit him or feed him balls, but then like you play a point and it's like, like you can tell when people don't have like the point structure down, 
And I don't think it's something, I mean, you can teach it a little bit, but you kind of just have to go out and play. Experience. Yeah. Uh, Same question, but just for doubles. Oh, (laughs) doubles for your new, your new, your new set. Teach us all how to play doubles. I would just say, I don't know. For, for that level, I would say, I think just like come into the net, like don't sit back and like try to rally. Like if you close the net and you're playing 4.0, like the person's not going to know like what to do on the other side. I wouldn't think. So I think you would get a lot of easy volleys just doing that. And then I think it would be constantly getting your volleys better, which to move up a level or to get better is really important, especially, you know, at that level where the ball's not coming as fast, you have time to sneak in and like close points off. And uh, so I would think that would also just help your volleys like naturally and getting comfortable at the net. Yeah. I love that. Everyone can get their volleys better and they need to come in more and yeah. And then you're playing people that are like lobbying and like hitting moon balls. It's like, well, if you're like comfortable at the net, like you could beat those people really easily. Love that. And last question. I'm actually interested on this one. Uh, why no roof on the new Buffalo Bills stadium? <laughs> I don't know. I just know there's a canopy. Did you see the? No. Oh, the, like the, the artist rendering of it or whatever. Yes. There is a canopy. I don't know the specifics of the roof situation, but there is a canopy. I think, I don't know. Maybe we wanted it to be rough if you come play and it snows. You know, I like it. It adds character. And by the way, like yeah, right? it? Miami has like the the stadium built so one side of the stadium gets like the sun. Yes, so it's hot. Yeah. It's like a yeah. home home field advantage, right? Like, yeah, like it's exactly. pretty cold. Yeah, exactly. If it's a cold and it's blizzard, okay, well you gotta you gotta come in the snow. We're not gonna give you a roof. I don't know. I have no idea to be honest. But there is a canopy that covers some of the seating for the fans. Well. Thank you so much for the time. Again, I, I really hope that we're doing this exactly one year from now and we can say <laughs> you're a major champion, slam champion, or, you know, have reached the pinnacle and you're number one. But, um, you know, you're leaving for Aussie Saturday. I'll be following as always. Um, know you're busy, but appreciate you taking the time with us and good luck in Australia. Yeah, thanks. I can't wait to be back at this time in 2023. <laughs> All right. I want to thank Jess for coming on the pod again. I'm not sure if I mentioned this in the first episode we did last year, but I lived with Jess and her family when I was 18 and she was seven and they housed me while we were at the same academy. So I've known her for 20 years and I still have a hard time believing she's made it all the way into the top five of both singles and doubles. So, so proud of her. And it's been very cool to be a part of her journey. As always with her, tons of cool stories and insights. And overall, I think her comments about the small margins between the top players really stuck with me this time. Whether she was talking about her return positioning, understanding her opponent's tactics, or sticking with her own percentage plays one more point, you can see how all these little tiny details can add up and contribute to a winning season or just an average season. So this year, 2023, make an effort to play percentage tennis, look for the marginal gains, try to stay disciplined in every aspect of your game. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm grateful you chose to join me today. I'm motivated to evolve and improve, so please subscribe if you enjoyed the episode and leave a comment or review so we can keep getting better every week. For more, check out my Instagram at Stokey Tennis for clips from these podcasts, as well as general drills and tips to help your tennis game. Thanks for listening. I hope you just improved at tennis without even hitting a ball.